also just ensuring that we have a podcast at all in July, considering I'll be spending the last week plus of July not on this particular continent. Uh, same. Are you actually not in this continent, or are we making a joke here? No, currently I am, but I won't be. I will be off continent the first week of August. Is this Hawaii, or is this somewhere else? This is Fiji. Whoa. I don't even know where Fiji is, so let's see. You're in Fiji. I'm in Norway. Who's in charge here when that happens? Uh, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we have scores to be uploaded in the first week of August, we know who to call. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 306, season 16, episode 5. It's your podcast for July 18th of 2022. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist at D3Football.com. Pat, I really enjoyed our off-season series with interviews with new coaches galore, but we are 45 days away at the time this podcast drops, 45 days away from kickoff of the 2022 Division Three football season. Yeah, September 1 is when football kicks off. I am clinging to these final six weeks, as many of these final 45 days as possible. And I tell you, July is usually about the time where we're really turning the keys, right? It's preseason top 25 info collection time. We're looking once again at preseason All-Americans. It's not generally a whole bunch of general news time, but maybe the worst kept secret in Division Three. But uh, when we put it out there on the Twitters on June 30th, as far as we could tell, nobody had actually said out loud Salve Regina was moving to the NUMAC starting in 2023. And the NUMAC finally made that official. Well, it's yesterday as of the time that we're recording this order, July 13th. Yeah, it was kind of rude by the NUMAC to bury the USC news, UCLA news with their (laughs) news of conference realignment. But... Yeah, this was something that D3 Sports had been reporting on for a little while, finally official. And so more conference shuffling in the Northeast. And, you know, Pat, I know this, but for the listeners, how about resetting sort of where these conferences are, who's moving around and where that puts everybody in relation to a pool A eligibility? Yeah, and of course, so we're talking about stuff that's going to take place in 2023. If you remember, that is the year in which Wilkes and Lyco pull out of the MAC. They come into the Landmark Conference for everything, including football. All the football schools in the Landmark come home, including Catholic, which comes out of the new MAC, which would leave the new MAC with seven. This replaces them back up to eight. The new MAC also is adding SUNY Maritime at that time to get up to eight schools. Losing Salve Regina is going to leave the Commonwealth Coast Conference with six football schools among its 10 members. Six, as you may remember from a podcast we discussed uh, a few months ago, that is now the standard going forward for automatic bids in Division Three sports. So they'll have six. They'll be safe. The ECFC 
which is not affected, of course, by Salve Regina to the new Mac, but has, you know, lost SUNY Maritime to the new Mac, as previously discussed. They're going to have just five programs. Keystone also leaves and goes into the landmark conference at that time. So now it wouldn't be until 2025, which is a year that's way out there as far as I'm concerned. It wouldn't be until 2025 that the ECFC would actually lose that automatic bid unless they disband or unless they fall below four conference members. But I think the ECFC definitely has uh, has some things to worry about, has some questions to figure out, has to figure out you know, how it's going to shore up that membership. The ECFC has been doing a good job of kind of glomming on to new Division Three football programs. And then sometimes they, let's say, grow up. And like Husson moves on, Keystone moves on, even though Keystone's only been, I'm not sure Keystone's grown up, but they've uh, moved on. I could see Anna Maria easily fitting in the CCC for football. You know, the folks like Alfred State and Castleton, you know, where, where does that leave them? Where does that leave someone like Gallaudet? Uh, you know, the other schools that remain in the conference, there definitely are some open questions there. Yeah, the ECFC has definitely been a bit of an incubator for new schools, young schools, young programs um, on the East Coast. And now they're sitting here with five. They're below that Boule threshold. And like you said, that's worrisome because five teams is not going to be enough to trigger a Pool B. They would basically have to go 10-0 and 0 and hope to get a full Pool C at-large bid. 10-0 and 0 and hope, right? And I don't know when we've seen an ECFC school make it undefeated through a regular season, but particularly if you had an ECFC with just four conference opponents, where are they going to find teams in that region, six other teams to play that they can win and beat yeah. to get to 10-0? and 0? you know, scheduling becomes a nightmare. You might see a double round Robin situation there. I'm just speculating now. I have no idea if that's actually being discussed, but I think you got to keep all options open when it comes to scheduling with a league that small and scheduling into October and November is difficult. Everybody around you is in conference play. So that was the news of like last week or the end of June, depending on, you know, whether you follow us on Twitter or not, I suppose the news of, like literally today is that there will be a new bowl game coming up this season. It will be between runners up in the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference, the NAC, bye, 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 yeah, and the Midwest Conference. Midwest, it is the Cousins Subs Lakefront Bowl. This game will be held at Wisconsin Lutheran's Robbie Stadium, about a nine mile drive from the actual lakefront of Lake Michigan. Just glad to see another one of these bowl games kind of, you know, coming to fruition here. Another opportunity for schools to have a postseason game. Yes, I think I've come around a bit on postseason bowl games. I think it's a great opportunity. One more opportunity for seniors to play one more game. Opportunity for programs to develop younger players if they want to use that extra week and that extra game for that. A lot of positive things from these games, even if they're falling in that first week of the NCAA playoffs, maybe not getting a ton of casual interest in these games, but locally and to those teams, uh, they are important. And so it's nice to see these games sort of branching out from the ECAC now into the Midwest. And, you know, who knows if these games continue to have success, you might see 
more of them spring up elsewhere. You could see them in the South. You could see them really any, any place that has a sponsor and a location willing to host a game. A sponsor and a location and a couple conference matchups. I mean, I know we've done kind of name brainstorming for other games like the, I don't know, the Casey's General Store I-35 Bowl for the MIAC and the ARC. The hang up there is the MIAC does not allow its teams to participate in such a thing. But I think we should maybe preload up a bunch of names for other bowls as well. Like, think of this as our as our random game. It's a rivalry game, and we're giving it a name. In this case, to kind of keep it in line with the existing games, we're going to look for a sponsor name and also a bowl name, like the Culver's Isthmus Bowl, which is actually being run by the same people who are doing the Lakefront Bowl. Uh, I think bonus points if we can get it a name like the Butterburger Bowl. You ready to do this? I've teed up what I think are pretty logical conference matchups. All right, let's do it. All right, we're going out west, right? We gotta we gotta keep the Skyac and the Northwest Conference together. So, what would the runner-up bowl be between these two conferences? I'm gonna go with the Dutch Brothers Pacific Coast Highway Bowl. Love the Pacific Coast Highway. Tell me what the heck Dutch Brothers is, because the only thing that came to mind for me was, you know, some reference to In-N-Out, and now I think it's just going to all be about burgers. Mmm, burgers. You know, we could have done this all with burgers. I, that would have been a fun game as well. But Dutch Brothers is a coffee chain. It's a chain of coffee restaurants that started in Southern Oregon. There are locations all throughout Oregon, and now they're springing up down here in Southern California. I personally love Dutch Brothers. Was not paid to say that, but I will put that out there. And <laughs> no, we did uh, not receive any uh, any remuneration for that uh, endorsement. We'll gladly take some though. Dutch Brothers, you can at me, Wally Wabash. Um, <laughs> May I've seen these right? Are they little like little huts in the uh, parking lot, like you used to have way back in the day to get your film developed? Uh, yeah, they are mostly kiosk based, really, I think yeah. is is how you would say that. And it is, you know, small footprint, probably low, low rent costs, probably really decent business model. I really love the coffee, love the service. They're always very friendly there. And I thought that was something that was maybe less obvious than in and out and took that. And it is as far as I, well, there are some locations elsewhere over in Arizona, but mostly a Californian, Oregon institution dutch brothers and we could call it you know pat we could call it the breve bowl is that the name of a size of coffee it is not the size of a coffee but a breve latte is a latte with half and half instead of steamed milk i know very very little about coffee i do know things about burgers i'm gonna go right back to the burger well here i feel like a game between the ASC and the SAA has to follow this CCIW WIAC mold. And this has to be the Whataburger Bowl. So do we call this like the Whataburger Everything's Bigger Bowl or is Everything's Bigger too many nods to Texas? I mean, I think that's, I think it's an appropriate number of nods to Texas given the breakdown of schools in Texas between these two conferences. I think you can skew Texas there. I like what you're doing with the burgers, maybe ASC, SAA. CCIW, WIAC, maybe you have like Burger Bowl semifinals. You get those two teams together a week later. Who's got the better burger? Whoa. So many things on the line, far more important than a uh, a, a runner-up tournament in Division Three football, but I like it. 
we have seen kind of similar to the Skyak and the Northwest Conference. We've seen a bunch of ODAC versus USA South games, and there is an ODAC postseason game, or there was an ODAC postseason game. I don't know if it's current anymore. Like the what was that thing called? The Oyster Bowl, where they had to play Newport News Apprentice, which was like three and six. I don't. This needs a whole yeah. new thing, and I'm looking for ideas. The obvious move, I think, is Waffle House in that in that area, but I like a Bojangles play here. Maybe you can call it the Bold Jangles. That's chicken. The, the Bold Jangles Bowl, a bowl of chicken. I like it. Where do we play this game? We got to play it somewhere right on the North Carolina Virginia line, right? Get it in the Outer Banks. Why not? That'll be fun. Ooh, fun. I like that. So look for the bowl jangles. Well, I, this is for you, Brad Bankston. Go take this and run with it. We provide that one free of charge as well. Another place that just seems like a natural would be the North Coast Athletic Conference and the Ohio Athletic Conference. I mean, these two conferences were basically the same unit about 30-some years ago when Baldwin-Wallace and Wittenberg played each other in the national championship game whatever year that was. I mean, that's only last the last pod we did. We talked about that in 305. They were both part of the Ohio Athletic Conference. They share a lot of tradition. We think they should share a bowl game. Surprisingly little crossover between the NCAC and OAC for being as geographically sort of intertwined as they are. Surprisingly little non-conference crossover. I picked the Steak and Shake Buckeye Bowl for this one. Steak and Shake's pretty prolific in Indiana and Ohio. I thought sharing Indiana and Ohio here was better than doing like a skyline chili play, which is pretty much a strictly an Ohio thing. Yeah. And really Cincinnati based where there's only Wilmington these days as D three schools, MIAA versus the HCAC. And I, you know, I used to live in Michigan umpteen years ago. Let's pretend it was 1982. What do you think for a, a bowl game here? I'm going to go with the Meyer Michiana Bowl. We play oh. this in Michigan City, Indiana, right? Or or Michiana. That's a place. Um, yeah. yeah it, bonus points if you can get a location in Michiana or Michigan City. Uh, that's fun. But Meyer, obviously, I think headquartered in Michigan and their locations, uh, Meyer locations throughout Indiana. There's a big Meyer location in Lafayette, Indiana, when I was living there for many, many years. There's one in Ann Arbor when we lived in the Ann Arbor area when I was a kid. This is like a some kind of cross between a grocery store and a big box store, right? I think of it like a Menards that also sells groceries or a mm -hmm. Hy-Vee that sells home goods. I don't know. Am I am I remembering correctly? You, you've probably been there as an adult and I've only been there as a grade schooler. Uh, it's, I think it's I think it's maybe grown up into more directly analogous to like a, a Walmart or a Target, sort of a one-stop shop for everything. And I left one matchup out there, the ECFC versus the UMAC. This isn't like a geographic matchup, obviously, as much as, A, I have the UMAC left over that I haven't given a bowl game to, and B, you know, I'm just looking for a, a good matchup or to get some postseason experience for however many teams happen to be in this conference or these conferences when this sort of thing goes around. So uh, just trying to get them some exposure. Maybe it's the Northern Exposure Bowl. Someone can come and do corny jokes about Alaska. And if you didn't watch TV in the 90s, this joke goes way over your head. It's a very, very fresh reference to Northern Exposure. <laughs> 
I'm nothing if not dated, man. Uh, let's play another 80s song right now. We've gone too far into this podcast without thanking and recognizing the people who help make this podcast possible, help make a lot of the things that we do at d3sports.com possible. And that is our supporters on Patreon. Patreon is a service that people can subscribe to in order to support artists, content creators, writers, that sort of thing. It runs the gamut. I actually support another podcast myself on Patreon, and a number of people support d3sports.com, d3football.com on Patreon. Yes, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're getting close to the start of a new season, and uh, those Patreon subscribers help the site put out all of that great weekly content that uh, we're all anxious to get back to. All of the weekly features, your top 25s, your scoreboard on Saturday, the Patreon it really helps keep that scoreboard going during those really busy early afternoon East Coast hours and through the evening. Yes, we want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers and share the site, share Patreon with friends, people you tailgate with, people you enjoy Division Three football with, get them in on the conversation and help support what we do so we can keep going through 2022 and beyond. The ability to support D3Sports.com sites starts as little as $3 a month. You can do that by going to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash D3Sports, or if your support is maybe more of a one-time and not more of a recurring subscription model, you might go to D3Sports.com slash help. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Ryan Larson, the new head coach at Carnegie Mellon University. You have not really heard me say new head coach at Carnegie Mellon University because the previous guy, Rich Lackner, did that for 36 years. When I started following D3 football as a student, Coach Lackner was the head coach at Carnegie Mellon. Ryan, now you are. First off, congratulations and also thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. A longtime follower of D3Football.com, so excited to be a part of it. Understandable by looking at your bio. I definitely want to talk about that, but I also just want to ask, you know, there are generations and generations of Division Three football players uh, who have never known anybody else as head coach of this program. What's it like stepping in now as the Tartans head coach? Yeah, it's, it's an honor, first off, but it's also humbling. Coach Lackner did an unbelievable job here, and I've been really fortunate to actually get to know him. We had lunch about a week ago, week and a half ago. We sat there for about an hour and 45 minutes and barely ate and talked a lot. And um, we've had many phone conversations, text message conversations. I've definitely asked him a lot of things like, hey, what what do I do here? Where's this? You know, the goal outing. What do I do here with that? You know, and he's been nothing but, you know, arms wide open and and unbelievable. So to follow a guy like him, you know, it's it's an honor, but it's definitely humbling. You know that, you know, people have a high expectation level for who sits in this chair and, and is a part of this position. And I'm really, really blessed to be here and be a part of it. You come from the offensive side of the ball. The places you've worked, Stevenson had some great offensive years while you were there. Wabash, one of the best years in their history. Rhodes, you were there for several years. And then there were some schools in some other divisions that uh, we don't necessarily want to talk about. But uh, <laughs> um, tell us a little bit. I don't know what the the secret sauce is or anything like that. What What are the sort of things that you want to bring offensively to Carnegie Mellon here going forward? You know, football is a really simple game. 
it's about players. It's not about plays. Um, you know, people really try to overcomplicate things, especially coaches. I, I jokingly say this all the time. Football is a simple game complicated by coaches. You got a big, powerful offensive line. You got an all-American running back, which we're, we're fortunate to have one coming back. You're going to have a team that's going to put a big emphasis on the run. You've got a quarterback who can sling it. You got receivers who can stretch the field. Um, you're going to throw it around a little bit. And, and one thing I've always taken a lot of pride in is a lot of people make the assumption, oh, you're a former quarterback, quarterback coach, pass game guy. But some of my proudest moments as an offensive play caller have been running the ball for over 300 yards, yeah. you know, and physically dominating a game. I'm a wins guy. I don't I don't care about systems. I've been a part of a lot of different systems, anything from spread triple to run and shoot to RPO heavy to, you know, more pro style. I've done it all and whatever it takes to win and put our kids in the best position. And I look at it the same way defensively and special teams wise too. You get a powerful D line, you got depth of the D line, you're probably going to be a four man front. You know, if you're a little bit lighter in terms of your front seven, you're probably going to be an odd man front and you're going to always play to your guys' talent. Yeah. Can you play man? Yeah. Can you not? And it's always putting your players in the best position. And I think players respect that and they gravitate towards that and they'll love you if they know you're putting them in the right position uh, to be successful. Some uh, quote from a West Wing episode or something like that is they'll like us when we win. <laughs> it's a great show and a great reference, by the way. Grew up on that show with my parents when I was when I was younger. Still go back and watch it sometimes. So it's a good one. We like ourselves a theme on this podcast, especially in our off-season podcast. And one of the running themes throughout the entire off-season is talking to some of the new coaches who are at playoff contenders. And Carnegie Mellon certainly qualifies as one of those. But we have a mini theme for podcast number 306 as well. You know, we're talking to you. We're talking with Andre Murphy at Dean in the second half of our podcast, or maybe the third, third. You told me, and you mentioned, and we talked to him about it as well, that you guys were basically officed right next to each other at Columbia University, which is where both of you were assistants before coming to your head coaching jobs here earlier this year. No, yeah. Andre and I were right next to each other, and we actually were our two California recruiters. So he had Northern California, I had Southern California, and pre-pandemic, you know, we spent like a week together on the road in the summer going to, you know, UCLA, USC, going all the way up to Stanford, working camps, yeah. you know, driving together, staying in the same hotel room, particularly in Northern California, you know, Palo Alto area, which isn't the cheapest. No. Uh, so great relationship with Andre. I couldn't be happier for him, you know, being a Dean alum. What an amazing opportunity for him to go back and, you know, have a positive impact on his alma mater. What an incredible story. What an incredible human being. I don't want to give away anything for his part of the podcast, but man, like what a dude. He and I text here and there and going through our first spring ball, we were texting a little bit more often and Hey, what are you doing here? Or how are you dealing with this? And we're both in pretty different situations in terms of what we walked into yeah. um, where he has a lot of familiarity with the institution where I'm definitely new where, you know, I'm following up a guy who was here for a long time where he didn't follow up someone who was there super long. So it's interesting that you still have those same things you're trying to get over as first time head coaches. You do a much better job teasing that interview than I will. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. you mentioned Southern California, you played at Claremont Mud Scripts and you mm -hmm. have an institution in Carnegie Mellon that is going to attract just, you know, high quality students. It's got a, a national name and a national reputation. How do you envision recruiting just to that institution in general going forward? This is a special place. We're looking for 
some really, really special student athletes, uh, not just football, all of our sports. This is one of the best universities in the country. We lead the country in a lot of programs, particularly computer science, information systems, engineering, business. We're looking for guys that are that are the best of the best academically. But to me, you know, I, I never put it as an excuse. I never say, oh, it's a detriment, you know, having to deal with this with admission or that. Like, we're looking for highly motivated guys. We're looking for the most selfish guys we can find that are selfish in the right way. They want the best education. They want to play championship football. They want to be in a city setting. They want to go to one of the best universities in the nation. Like, I'm, we're looking for selfish guys that want the best of it all, you know? And I think that that's what we're selling. I was just in New York City this last weekend, you know, working at the Columbia camps. We had four coaches at four different Ivy League camps all for four, three or four days straight. Yeah. You know, we're out there, we're scouring. We were out at West Coast Elite, New England Elite, which are high academic camps. Right. Like we're going to go find the best of the best. And we're really fortunate to work at a place as well that, you know, financially supports us to do that. We got to go out and see kids on the West Coast and say, hey, there's this school called Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh that could change your life. And reaching the Olive Branch out and going to them, I think, goes a lot further than a lot of people really think. We're looking for great guys and very similar to my undergraduate experience. This is a lot more of a university setting. Claremont changed my life. And I hope for every one of our guys that graduates from here, they can say the same thing about CMU. The football program at Carnegie Mellon is a little different than the rest of them, right? I mean, so most of the sports are playing in the University Athletic Association. So these mm -hmm. are, you know, people, they're getting on an airplane to go to New York and Boston or to Atlanta or to Chicago and St. Louis. And you are primarily almost exclusively in Western Pennsylvania and coming soon too, we'll be playing all a fully a conference schedule and no non-conference games Maybe this is too soon to know. Maybe I need to ask you this question in a couple of years, but what do the student athletes feel about that experience, which is kind of distinctly different between what almost everybody else in their student athlete brethren would see? I think that the good thing is, you know, last year the team flew out to Whitworth and Whitworth is coming to us this year. And then week two, we get to go up to upstate New York and play RPI. Mm -hmm. And those are two amazing challenges for us. Whitworth is always in contention or winning the, you know, the Northwest conference and RPI kind of speaks for itself. They've been in the playoffs. They were in the elite eight last year. Yep. They have a great program. So we're really, really excited about those opportunities to be completely frank with you. Um, our guys know, you know, what's happening with the league, but we don't talk about it. We're just really focused right now on getting the preseason and having the best preseason that we can have, just like we did with spring ball and the weight room. And then we know that we've got some big challenges, uh, not only out of conference, but, you know, out of conference wise um, in the pack. And we're just focused on that right now. You know, would I love to be jumping on airplanes and, and giving our guys that experience? Absolutely. You know, our athletic director feels the same way. We would love to do it. But as we know, the, the division three football landscape is changing with conference realignment yeah. and people changing conferences. Heck it's, it's still happening at the FBS level with what happened with the, the big 10 that now is 20 or something. The bigger, the bigger, uh, the bigger 10, right? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, to me, absolutely what I love to have more opportunity for our young men to see different parts of the country, you know, for us to go to areas of the country where our student athletes come from, but at the same time, we're going to play whoever shows up to play us on that Friday or Saturday. And, and that's our job. And um, the rest will take care of itself. And, you know, like a lot of things I preach, we're, we're just really worried about us and what we can control in our process. And, you know, the rest will take care of itself. We don't know. This isn't over yet. 
you never know what's going to happen. No, the, true. the pack could go this direction. It could change in a year or two. You just, you never know. And so that's probably even more reason why I don't worry about it too much. And I don't have our kids worry about it because it's still fluid. I know this happened before you got there. Was there any kind of residual feelings, hangover, or anything about the way that Carnegie Mellon's playoff run ended? And for those, if, if anybody tuned out of last November, Carnegie Mellon won the PAC, was on the road to Chicago to play North Central in the first round, and then had to cancel the game because of COVID. Yeah, I think that it really motivates our kids to get right back there. It's unfinished business. It definitely pushed them in the off season in the weight room. It pushed them out on the spring practice field. It kind of, you know, said, Hey, we've got a chip on our shoulder. We, we know we're capable of something and we want to get back to that, but also, you know, we've got a new head coach and he's got new ideas and we're doing some things a little differently. Uh, and so it kind of all just melded together into, you know, to me, it's kind of like a perfect cocktail of our guys are just really motivated and excited. And, and that's a big reason why I mean, I took this job. I mean, this is, I'm 35 years old, first-time head coach, and arguably one of the best jobs you could ever imagine for a 35-year-old first-time head coach. Yeah. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, I know we're not going to talk too much about the past, but like Al Bagnoli, who I worked for at Columbia, I sat down with him for hours in preparation for the interview. And once I was offered the job, and I mean, I just saw him this last weekend at the Columbia camps, like I mentioned, for recruiting. And, you know, he even said it then, this last weekend, he's like, what an amazing opportunity, what an amazing job, one of one of the premier academic institutions that has a 70% win percentage in the last 10 years. What Coach Lackner did here, the foundation that was built here is unbelievable. Let's find ways to really do things maybe just a little bit better or a little bit differently that gives us an edge. But this isn't a place where it's like scrap it and restart. My greatest challenge is to be always, you know, very cognizant of the amazing history that we have here and say, you want to what? Like, we don't need to change that. That's okay. Like, this is good. And, and I can learn from that. But then also finding where we can find those ways to get better, improve and do new things. That's a, a great challenge and a fun challenge for me as well. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times, right? Come in doing some things different but not blowing up a 36 year foundation, right? Tell us a little bit about like just one thing that is different under uh, coach Larson than it was under coach Lackner. The one thing and that I want our kids, and I'm not saying that it wasn't this way before, but I want our guys to come to practice. And I will say this out loud. I said it out loud to them the first team meeting I had with them. I say it to people on campus. I say it to our staff. I say to everyone, I want that you know, two hours we're at practice to be the best two hours of their day. You know, our guys are worked really hard academically. They're worked really hard in their professional development. You know, we've got sophomores worrying about job placement. Oh, wow. We've got, you know, um, their corporate recruiters coming on campus talking to 19-year-old sophomores. So when I our guys come to practice, like, I want the music blaring. I want the clock periods running. We're giving high fives right out the bat as we're stretching. Like, there's energy. There's effort. There's enthusiasm for what we're doing. Selfishly, like these guys, I got a great degree at Claremont. Like I got into this because I love football. I got into this because I don't want to sit behind a desk all day long. I want to be working with young men. And so I think it, we, we owe it to them as coaches over everything else. Forget scheme, forget everything else. We owe it to them that the four years that they come here and play football, it's the best four years it can be. I hate the saying oh, well, high school football was the funnest time of your life because you get to college and it's more like a business. Like, forget that. Like, no way. Like, 
I look at it as you come to play college football. This is one of the most unique experiences of your life that can be amazing. You're going to play with guys from all over the country. You're going to develop relationships with guys that will be in your weddings. This is how we build it, but we build it with a culture where we're just excited to be out there. And so I think that I'm not saying that it wasn't fun before, because I think we have great guys that love football and enjoy practice, but that's something I'm really conscious about. Like the kids are picking the music. I'm not picking the music. Like the energy that we have between drills and how we transition is real. So I would say that was a huge emphasis point and the guys embraced it and they loved it. Nothing made me more proud or happy in exit interviews when so many guys were like, I loved coming to practice. It was fun to come to practice. That's what I want to hear. So you have 35 year old Ryan Larson replacing Rich Lackner after 36 seasons as the Carnegie Mellon head coach. Pat, that is my stat of the week. That may be the most incredible stat. You know, it's been interesting this spring and summer hearing from new coaches at programs coming off of great seasons. The changeover at places having success has been interesting to follow. I think Coach Larson made a good point about CMU's having missed on the postseason uh, last, last year. They're returning conference champions, but that team didn't get to enjoy all of the things that normally go along with that. While guys like Brad Spencer at North Central and Larry Harmon at UMHB are tasked with motivating teams and players that have achieved everything there is to achieve in Division Three, Coach Larson still has that NCAA playoff game to have his team chase down. You can learn more about those things in podcast number 302 and podcast number 303. We talked last time around with Mike Turper at Ithaca, whose team has been, you know, that close to getting to the playoffs multiple times. You could kind of say the same for Carnegie Mellon. We haven't talked much in the D3 football space about the fact that the President's Athletic Conference is going to be a closed conference coming up in... uh, I think it's I think it's starting in 2023. Everything's happening in 2023. Allegheny joins the conference this year, and then the pack is kind of reshuffling its master schedule in 2023 to give everybody 10 conference games, which is to say zero non-conference games. And we have had that happen in Division Three football before. The Iowa conference was a closed conference. I think the MAC was talking about being a closed conference when they were 11 teams and decided not to do it. Of course, what this does is, well, well, we'll go back to podcast number 303, and Logan Hansen can tell you what happens to the numbers when you play zero non-conference games as an entire conference. That is something that's coming up, just not right this year. It is. So there'll be a lot like the NESCAC, but with playoff participants. I'll be interested to see how, how that closed system plays into selection seating criteria. Logan probably has a good idea already what's good, what that's going to look like. But yeah, we'll revisit the, the pack closed system uh, maybe in pod 394. Ish. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Andre Murphy, the new head football coach at Dean College in his first year, an alumnus of the school, but an alumnus of the school when it was a two-year school. Coach, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You now have been back at Dean for a number of months, and I've been through spring practice and all that. And uh, it's what I want to know is, you know, this is a school that transitioned into Division Three and transitioned from a two-year school to a four-year school in the time since you graduated. So how is it different? Everything is different. Aside from the infrastructure, there's definitely been some things they've added on. The school's invested a lot of money into going to four-year school. 
it was it was starting to do that in my time there, I believe. They had started beginning to add some four-year programs towards the end of my time there. And so it was kind of cool to see some of the programs they offer here are phenomenal, which they offered when I was a student here. But <laughs> from that aspect, it's different. I just I feel like everything is different from the administration. You know, they're they're pushing hard and and really gaining that competitive edge academically in the region. For so long, Dean had been a two-year school. So they've been transitioning and going through that process of changing the reputation of what Dean is in this region. You know, in between that time and today, you spent a number of seasons as an assistant coach at Columbia, but you also spent four years in the U.S. Army. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that because that is not necessarily the sort of thing you see on a coach's resume anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after I finished playing college football, I hadn't graduated at the time and, and the opportunity came for me to join the army. And by opportunity, I mean, just life, I guess, you know, you sit at that crossroad. I think some of us have all sat at and decided to join the army. I knew that if I wanted to join the army, uh, I wanted to do something that I thought was army like. So I joined the infantry. So I'm fairly ignorant, I guess, maybe a baseline American ignorant, but that seems quite army. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think army, that's what you think. And so I, originally I wanted to go into aviation, believe it or not, I wanted to be a pilot and a helicopter pilot and was studying for that test. And while sitting in the recruiting office, one of those little 30 second videos popped up of 11 Bravo infantry. And they showed the guy doing the obstacle courses and repelling out of the helicopter. So I was like, that looks a lot cooler. And my recruiter tried to talk me out of it <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I was pretty much set on it. So I mean, the best decision I've ever made in my life just from the things that it's taught me, the mindset that it's given me and the people I've met, I truly believe that. And then, so getting out of the army, that's when I jumped into coaching and got my first coaching job at Mass Maritime and also went to finish my bachelor's degree. As a communications and marketing guy, the marketing guys really got you with that video, didn't they? Absolutely, they did. (laughs) They have the music in the background and everything. We talked with Ryan Larson earlier in this podcast. Of course, he's the head coach at Carnegie Mellon. For anybody who jumped in into this half of the podcast and didn't listen to the first half, you guys had offices right next to each other, which I, I thought was pretty cool. I want to hear your perspective on, you know, coming from the Ivy League, coming from Columbia specifically as an assistant coach and now taking over as a D3 head coach. Uh, Columbia was a great place. I first went there in 2017 as a defensive quality control assistant, had just come from Holy Cross. And when I asked people about the job, when, when it was presented to me, they all told me how great it would be. And they said they thought that Columbia would be able to win. And fortunately, I joined at the right time. Uh, Coach Bagnoli and his staff had been there for about two years at that point. So when I got there, we jumped right into an eight and two season, one of the best seasons in Columbia in 25 plus years. And it's just been steamrolling since after being there for about seven or eight months, I had the opportunity to interview for the defensive backs job. Uh, the guy that, that originally called me to get me out there ended up taking a job somewhere else. And fortunately, Coach Bagnoli and Coach Ferraro trusted me enough to take over that position. And so I, I've ran that group for the last four years. And it's, it's been awesome. The people all the way from the athletic director down uh, have been phenomenal. Like you mentioned, I, I shared a staff room, but then also our offices were right next door to each other. So I could easily just knock on the door and scream over to to Coach Larson. So that's been great. And then when you're working for guys like Coach Ferraro, who's our defensive coordinator, and he's well-respected, recently retired, he's coaching the NFL for a number of years at the FBS level. 
And then being under a, a Hall of Famer with Coach Bagnoli, it was awesome for my career. And the, the things that you're able to learn from somebody, even when you don't realize you're sitting in a staff meeting or just seeing him around the office. Uh, I had to reach out to him a couple months after I got to Dean and, and thank him for all the things that I learned that I didn't realize that I was learning from him because they were starting to become valuable for me here at Dean. Do you have a good Ryan Larson story for us? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm trying to... I have some, so, so we, me and Larson, we also uh, both recruited the state of California together. And so I, I don't know, we're, we're in different roles now and, and different points in our career, but we had some good times out in California. I'll just say that. He's, he's an awesome guy. The one comparison, obviously, people make between the Ivy League and Division Three is that neither you're able to offer athletic scholarships. I'm not sure that there's much else that's the same, but what else do you take from that experience that helps you or has helped you in your first uh, six months here as head coach? Uh, obviously, that that is the big one, uh, the not offering scholarships. But then I just think the way you carry yourself and then the expectation. I know Larson's at a place like Carnegie Mellon where they the academic standards are a little more rigorous than they are here for us at Dean, but the type of kid that we're going after, they might not have the 4.0, the 3.8 per se. Some of them actually do, but the character is the big thing that I want to instill in our staff and in our team. And, and I made it very clear when I was interviewing for the job here at Dean that that high quality of person is, is what I'm looking for. And then seeing the back end of what the Ivy League offers for these for the student athlete and the, the networking and and preparing them for life. I really want to bring that back to Dean and and get that going for these guys because I think that they all deserve it. So camp opens in about a month. First off, how many kids are you expecting? And then secondly, what are the things that you guys are doing as a staff right now to get ready for that? What's left on the to-do list? Oh so we think we'll end up with about 105 still waiting to hear back from about two or three kids that are just waiting to get those deposits. Actually, one's supposed to deposit today, so that'll be a, a good gift for us, really good player. We've got checked a lot of those boxes of prepping the scripts and making sure everything's in order for move-in. I actually just got the, the email sent out for early move-in yesterday, so our guys are ready to check in in a month. They actually report on August 9th for the freshmen and the 10th for the, the returners. And then just making sure you all the things that you sit late at night and remember to do and get up and start typing on the computer or write it down. It's the, the small things, the ordering meals and setting those things up and making sure everybody's squared away from that perspective, make sure the interns are taken care of. But from a, a practice perspective, I think that was something that I thought would be a lot, I don't want to say harder, but I have some great coaches that work alongside with me. So they keep, keep me on track with those kind of things. So I think we're pretty squared away when it comes to being ready for everything. And like those logistical things, like the the move in and, you know, all of that stuff, like who do you lean on? Who do you go to for advice on that sort of thing? Our offensive coordinator, Tom Keen, I brought him. He came from Louisiana College. We worked together uh, in my brief time at Florida Atlantic University. It was our first day actually together as QCs there. We started on the same day and we've been pretty tight ever since. So he's someone that I definitely lean on. And then just the other people around Dean. And I don't think it's just because I'm an alum and I know a lot of the people here, but it's such a family here, it's such a small group of just having just over 1,200 students roughly. So I, I relied a lot on the people that work in Res Life and the athletic director and, and Janie, our, our, she like runs our program in athletics, if you ask me. She's been here for over 30 years, I believe. Having that kind of resource, those are all great people that, I can go and knock on the door and not worry about how I'm going to look 
for not having the answer for it right away. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, right? There's a, I don't know if there's quite quite saving face or something like that, right? You're supposed, <laughs> you're the head coach. You're supposed to know everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Dean program is, you know, been transitioned into division three now fully for a few years and you know you know first started playing a d3 schedule about five years ago but of course there was a season loss to the pandemic in there is there momentum in this program after having a year off and then kind of struggling last year and like the conference is in a little bit of flux and and all those sorts of things what is the goal for you guys for this year what do you think is achievable for the program i tell our guys what's achievable for us is winning today and, and conquering that there's a lot of talent that's still on this football team. The tradition from Dean uh, in the junior college days was extremely strong. As a player, I won a bunch of games here, and they were even better, honestly, after I left. I think they won about four championships after I left in that time. And then after the transition in 2015, in 2019, they won the conference, and they just weren't eligible for the playoffs because it was right. they were still in a probationary period. Mm -hmm. And so there's still kids on that team that are on our current team right now. And, and I want to help send those guys out the right way. And just being in our conference, when you look at the film, and this isn't a slight to anybody, I'm sure they'd all say the same thing. I feel the conference is wide open. I mean, obviously you have teams like Anna Maria, they're bringing a bunch of guys back and they've been doing a good job in Alfred State and some of these other programs, but why not us? I mean, we're loaded with talent, just like these guys. If you go look uh, at the, the schedule from last year, Dean wasn't getting blown out by anybody. And I had to sit down and look at that. And before I even interviewed for the job, I went and pulled up every game online. That's like the benefit of, of today's age. You can watch everything. And, and I couldn't figure out why they had gone two and eight. And that's not a slight at the previous staff. Sometimes it's just got to be a little change of culture and get the juices going. And the kids bought in extremely fast and they've been working their tails off. So it's pretty exciting. I have to ask you, you know, you are one of just a handful of, of black head coaches in division three football. And, you know, even though, and I literally, I have a list that is only this long. It's been on my desk for about the last four or five years. There's a couple names scratched off and that sort of thing. And, you know, new names at the bottom. And we did add six new names on this list this year, which is great. That leaves us with, by my count, just 19. And I think at one point, I think when I first started tracking this, it might've been literally just three or four what's your reaction to that? How do you feel about, you know, being part of this group and this group being so small, frankly? So my first day officially as the head coach here at Dean, I actually did the same thing and had the same number. And it, it probably took me a lot longer because I, had to, I went to every school's page <laughs> to, to check. But the reason I did that is because I understood the significance and not just that, the responsibility that I have in this role, not just taking care of my guys, but paving that way, quote unquote. I don't even like saying it that way, but I just really understand how big of a deal it is and didn't want it to get past me. And, and having some friends that are on that list and being able to reach out to them. And we even spoke about it, guys like uh, Todd Gilchrist, who I also worked at Columbia with right. uh, for a couple of years, who's at U Chicago. Yep. And, and those, so those are conversations that we do have. I think they're important not just for coaches, but for our student athletes to see and, and to continue to, to build on that. And I, I don't have the answer for it. I just know there's a lot of qualified coaches out there and, and I'm no better than anybody. I just, I mean, between God and kind of the perfect storm of everything else, I've just been blessed to be put in this situation. 
whether it's paving the way or whatever term, it feels like we shouldn't have to be doing this in 2022, right? And even so, 19 is still like significantly less than 10%. Absolutely. Yeah. Coach Murphy talked a lot about his program and a lot about coming back to this school. I want to focus just for a moment on what we talked about at the very end and 19 black coaches. It's this is after a decent off season for, uh, for adding black coaches, right? Sean Williams takes over for Dustin Johnson at William Patterson. So we didn't lose one there. Isaac Collins comes back to D three. He's at Albright. Uh, you know, Murphy mentioned Todd Gilchrist is at Chicago. Lazarus Morgan got the job at Cortland. Calvin Tolliver got promoted at Rockford, but man, that gets us to 19, which is still way less than 10%. Decent off season, definitely, but still a ways to go before that status, something that we don't think about or have to talk about on around the nation. You know, hearing Coach Murphy say that he took the time to research and find all 19 of those names on his own, that left an impression with me. It's clear that the job means a lot to him personally and professionally, but it's also important on a wider scale as well. All right. So Dean College, as it has transitioned into division three transitioned into a four-year college has yet to find a ton of success as a football program they did win five games in their second year and of course you know then they didn't play at all in 2020 kind of really stumbled out in 2021 finished just two and eight but feels like there's there's potential here right there's potential for them to to do something and certainly the ecfc anything can happen Sure. You know, in, in 2019, Dean won the ECFC. They won, they were conference champions, but they were not eligible to play in the postseason, So they didn't get that opportunity. Not exactly the same scenario as Carnegie Mellon, but yeah, we are, we are theme heavy this month on the podcast. A lot of commonality between our two interviews. As you mentioned, the, the ECFC is, is pretty volatile, right? I think every team in that league is not that far away from being seven and three and conference champions or being two and eight as Dean was and one in five, they lost three of their five conference games last year by one score. So yep. it's not like they were super far off or not competitive in the league, but may, may just be a thing where if they get on, win a couple of games in a row, get a little momentum. That's something that I think can carry you a long way in the ECFC. They open the season on Friday night, September 2nd at Fitchburg State, and they beat Fitchburg 42-6 to last year. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. This is our time for listener feedback. We take this one from Twitter. It's from Jim Catanzaro. Jim Catanzaro from Lake Forest College. Coach Cat. Jim Catanzaro. Jim, glad to have you with us. My pleasure. Yeah, that's him at LFC underscore football on Twitter asking, are there any teams in the last top 25 poll that you expect to either move up or drop down significantly? For this question, five spots could be, quote, significant graduation blips insider info insider info i should really dig into those 27 preseason reports that we've gotten so far i don't think i'm going to be able to do that here over the course of the next 30 seconds it's a good question though i mean obviously there are some teams that lost a lot i just looked at a couple of the magazine polls just to laugh at them which i traditionally do I think I saw St. John's was 13 in one of them. That would be a five-spot drop. I have a hard time picturing 
who the 12 programs are that are really better than St. John's, especially St. John's that has a quarterback coming back from injury. This is a really good question. It is. So I'm looking, just briefly glancing at uh, the final top 25 from 2021. And I think if I had to choose one school that might be five or more spots lower than where they finished in 2021. Also, by the way, appreciate Jim Catanzaro, like setting the parameters for That's us. very really helpful, right? <laughs> love it when our Twitter questions do the producing for us. Um, <laughs> I think the one I'm going to, I'm going to pick to, to fall five spots at least is going to be central. Um, uh, good one. Yeah. Central. I, Finished 2021 ranked number six. That's, you know, that's a high watermark for Central for quite some time. They had a really strong run in the postseason, beating Wheaton in that tremendous playoff game in the second round. But losing Blaine Hawkins, and that's a lot of offense that Central is going to have to replace. And I, I could see our voters maybe sliding Central back quite a ways in the post-Hawkins era. Of course, I just gave Central semifinal fuel, so you're welcome, sure. Dutch fans. I wrote down a name on a post-it note here at my desk while you were talking, just in case we ended up with the same thing. I did not, but I wrote down DelVal. DelVal, they ended last year at number 15. They have a bunch of their offense back, but offense was not, offense was not the thing, right? Offense was not where uh, where it was at for them. The defense, obviously, you know, the Nobiles are back. So that's good. Michael and Anthony Nobile. I feel like that's an opportunity. I think your answer is the definitive answer for falling. But uh, I also think uh, DelVal, when the, when the dust settles at the end of the year, might not be in the top 20 or might be at 20. I guess that's what it would take. Yeah, I think that's a good answer as well. A little more risk there. It's maybe... Uh... Central has further to fall, a little more room. We should probably try to do some teams that are rising. We will rise, we will rise, we will rise. I am kind of, I'm kind of bullish on Harden Simmons this year, but Harden Simmons, despite missing the playoffs last year, finished our poll in 2021 at number 10 and there's not a lot of space to move up from 10 so yeah um i think Harden simmons probably better than 10 but not by five spots i'm gonna go down to uw river falls i think i think that's a team that i think finished 2021 with a lot of steam and you know that's a team that i think i could see voters latching on to as their second or maybe third WIAC team to vote for, which is usually going to land you around 15 or so. So that would be UW River Falls finished 2021 ranked 20. And so 15, I think, is not unreasonable for River Falls. All right. And I did write down a name on a post it. I'm going to hold it right up here to my face so you can see it won't blur out. I actually did write UWRF. <laughs> Obviously, there's there's a lot of opportunity, too, for teams that are completely unranked to jump into this, right? So, you know, someone like Hobart or Union could finish the end of the year in the top 25 and be a team that uh, that does that as well. I think I'd like to drop those names. I just don't know who emerges unscathed in the Liberty League. Probably nobody emerges unscathed 
in the Liberty League. So I don't know if it's them or Ithaca. RPI finished at 13. I don't think they have a real opportunity to advance by five spots, but I bet someone from the Liberty League probably will. That's possible as well. One other one other option here, maybe Bethel finished 2021-17. I gave um, a half thought to Bethel, yep. If they beat St. John's once. Jaron Rosty. Jaron Rosty's not gone, as far as I know. So, you know, Jaron Rosty returning for his 14th season at Bethel, that's something that that's something that <laughs> that uh, voters may take into consideration. And you could see Bethel slide up a ways from 17, I think. Confirming Jaron Rosty is back. We have the, the Bethel preseason uh, info form right here in front of me. Right, they finished 8-3 and three last year with a loss to Central and two losses to St. John's. There's certainly a good possibility for Bethel to finish in the top 12, which is what it would take. That's a great question. That's what we want out of the mailbag. And then I have to do a makeup call here because in my notes, and I got talking to Coach Murphy in the other interview, and I neglected to ask him about the Charlie Mike mantra. I know that I am not doing the best by asking you about this, but um, hopefully you can tell us a little bit about what that's about. No, man, Charlie Mike. So before I got to Columbia, Coach Murphy had been there. Coach Murphy had been kind of like a quality control assistant and had been you know, promoted up into the defensive backs position. Coach Murphy served in our U.S. military, was in the Army, did multiple tours over in the Middle East. And there's a lot of code words and a lot of code catchphrases that the Army uses. And Charlie Mike is continue mission, okay. CM, continue mission, Charlie Mike. And when your back's against the wall, when things aren't going well, or when things are going well, and you don't lose your vision and, and your focus... Um, Charlie, Mike, continue mission, continue mission. And so it became very much our rallying cry at Columbia. And, you know, we were who we were, you know, coach Bagnoli took over a program that was the worst in FCS football and, you know, had been a doormat in a lot of ways in the Ivy league. And so building a mantra for our guys to tone out the noise, positive or negative and Charlie Mike, keep pressing on, keep pressing on. And there were so many moments in the 2021 season coming out of COVID. You know, we didn't play the 2020 season. We were the only Ivy League school that didn't get spring ball in the spring of 21 because we were in New York City. And our kids just continue mission, Charlie Mike, Charlie Mike. And what was really amazing about the mantra, and I didn't take it and I didn't bring it here um, for a few reasons. Even though C and M are the initials, right? <laughs> it is. Yep. It is. DMR. So it, it could have been, but I, I didn't take it because, you know, I, I really associated it so much with Andre. And I already had some things that I want to do. And I think when you get too many mantras, too many acronyms going, it gets a little congested. But there were so many moments in the 2021 season where our back was against the wall, Columbia, that we were playing teams that maybe we shouldn't have beat. And you visibly heard Charlie Mike coming out of the kids' mouths. Wow to their teammates and it was quick and it was simple. It was Charlie Mike and guys were like, okay, good. Like, and so it was just, man, it was an awesome lesson. And man, I, maybe you got to get Andre back on later on and let him tell you about some of the team meetings that he got to speak at and talk about Charlie Mike. So cool story, but we all take things from each other as coaches. We all, we all lean on each other and come up with stuff. And 
you know, even though Charlie Mike not, might not be a mantra here, there's going to be components of it for sure that I'm going to always have in my mind. Never done a makeup call before, but it seemed important. I had this great intel that I should have asked Coach Murphy about, and then we got off on other topics, and I looked down at my notes, and I still had Charlie Mike mantra in my notebook here on page number 306. But since I was talking to Coach Larson after Coach Murphy, even though we played them in opposite order here, on the podcast i did have the opportunity to talk to him about it you know maybe we will have an opportunity to talk with coach murphy about it in a different form other than having interviewed him right here on this podcast which is what we should have done maya moxima culpa and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 306 released on july 18th 2022 thanks for listening and keep an eye out for what is left of this offseason what is left of this offseason is just 45 days. Apparently, you can support production of this podcast in the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, a fellow alumnus about this podcast. Also, you can rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports as well. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. D3B-O-A-R-D-S.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Dave McHugh also had COVID this past week. I mean, I always expect to produce this by myself, but uh, I don't think I'm getting any production assistance from Dave other than his voice back at the beginning of the pod. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Ryan Larson and Andre Murphy, our guests. And thanks to Sports Information Directors Mark Fisher and Ryan Emerson. Thanks to the man who originated this podcast with me and originated the column around the nation. That's Keith McMillan. And thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas. You're going to be in Fiji. I'm going to be in Norway. You're going to go scout out players for, like, Willamette. And then, like, on my way back, when I spend three days in Amsterdam, I'm going to be looking for anybody playing European League football and see which former Division Three quarterbacks are quarterbacking. I'm sure your spouse and my girlfriend will love these side quests that we've planned for our vacations. Say hi to Joe Germanario. Does he still have eligibility? In Norway. Playing for Ludafisk would be what the book would be they would write about that. Oh, that should be the, that's the prize for the UMAC ECFC bowl. <laughs> a, bowl of a, a bowl of Ludafisk? Wait, does that go to the winner or to the runner-up? I, man, I guess it depends on, I get winner's choice. How about that? <laughs> Second prize is two bowls of Ludafisk. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody.